Well, as you can see, tonight we're going to be learning a lot. And we call this our Wednesday night equipped service because this is where we get equipped. The Bible says that we are using all of our gifts together as the body of Christ works together so that the body can be equipped. So that you and I can be equipped to do the works of ministry. That's what the Bible wants us to become. We, we, the Bible wants us to be equipped so that we can do the kingdom's work. And as you can see up here, we have different things in the front. And uh, Susie Chun is going to be speaking tonight, and she's going to be sharing about Yom Kippur, uh, I think, and as well as the, it's the Day of Atonement. So you're going to learn a lot. Take out your notes and get ready to write. Could you welcome with me Susie Chun as she comes and shares? Again, I'm really delighted and thankful to be sharing about God's appointed times called the Moedim. The Moedim place us on God's calendar as they reveal his glorious redemptive plan for all of mankind. It's important that the church understands its Hebraic roots in order to fully appreciate the glory of God's redemptive plan. Tonight, you see that I've, well, thanks for a little help from my friends here. We've put some signs up. Those are the names of the seven Moedim. And I thought it would better help you to understand the truths so you can grasp the truths that we find in these holidays. The first is Passover. And that um, is celebrated at the very first month of the Jewish New Year, Nisan. Now, Passover commemorates when the Jews were liberated, set free from bondage in Egypt, and they were able to do that because a blood of a lamb was put on their doorpost. They were able to get out of Egypt. It was fulfilled on the exact day of Passover when Yeshua, Jesus, died on the cross for our sins and became the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The very next day is the Moedim of unleavened bread. It has to do with sinlessness. That was the night that he was buried. And then three days after Passover is the Moedim, or appointed time of first fruits. It celebrates the barley harvest, and it was on that very day that Yeshua, Jesus, rose from the dead and was resurrected, becoming a first fruits of all those that would be resurrected later, which will include us. Then there's a 50-day gap, and we come to the fourth one of these spring feasts. And this one is called Shavuot, or Pentecost. It commemorates when, the, when Moses was on Mount Sinai and was given the law. And on this very day, the Lord chose to send his Holy Spirit to earth, and the church was birthed that you can read about in Acts chapter 2. So these are the spring Moedim, and they all have been fulfilled in the first coming of Christ. Then we have this gap period, this space. It's kind of the summer months, because these are spring, and now I stand in the summer with no Moedim. It's a time of harvest. And we talked about that a little bit last week, and the, the harvest fields are white. And this is the time that could be called the church age or the time of the Gentiles. It's where we live right now in God's prophetic calendar. It's a time for us to be harvesting. Not, not wheat, but it's a time for us to be harvesting souls for the kingdom because the kingdom is coming, and that's what the fall feasts are all about. Last week, we talked about Yom Teruah. The silence of the summertime is broken by the blast of the shofar at Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets. It's at that time that we celebrate very significant prophetic things about the coming of the Messiah. Last week we saw that the shofar announces the coming of the bridegroom 
and we prophetically as the bride of Christ will meet him. The shofar calls people to assembly, to worship, to repent. And that is a very important word at this season, repent. Because it's a time from this holiday, Yom Teruah, to the one that we're going to talk about tonight, Yom Kippur, that there's a 10-day time period called the Days of Awe. It's a time dedicated for teshuva, or returning to God, repentance, returning to God. And then comes Yom Kippur. Now, it's really special because Yom Teruah is on the seventh, the first day of the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. This is on the tenth day of the Jewish calendar, which started last night. Yom Kippur started last night. It's a one-day holiday and ended just as we were beginning worship tonight because all Jewish holidays end, start on the eve, on an evening at sundown, and end on the next evening at sundown. So really, we're on the 11th of Tishri right now on the Jewish calendar, but we just celebrated this. And Jews all over the world were celebrating and observing. Observing might be a better word because it's the holiest and most solemn of all the Jewish Moedim. The shofar is blown at the end of Yom Kippur, and that's why just as Yom Kippur was ending for us in Hawaii here, we had Robert blow it tonight, and also for another reason you'll see later. I'm going to have my friend Ronnie come up now. Ronnie, I've asked her to say a prayer for us tonight. She is Israeli, born and raised in Israel, and so, of course, Hebrew is her first language. She's going to say a prayer called the Shehekianu, acknowledging who God is and thank him for bringing us to this very special time we have right now. So Ronnie will say the prayer in Hebrew, and then there'll be a slide for us to do the English translation. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Shehekianu vekimanu vegeanu lazman hazeh. Amen. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't need a second one. Thanks. Okay, well, thank you, Ronnie. Toda Rabah. Let's us say the English. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has given us life, sustained us, and allowed us to reach this day. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful thought? We acknowledge who God is. We thank him. You brought us to this day. Thank you. Yom Kippur means Day of Atonement. The Torah's name for this day is Yom HaKippurim, meaning the day of covering, the day of canceling, of pardoning, of reconciling, and ransoming. The word is also parallel to the word redeem and means to atone for an offering by a substitute. The word atonement originally meant at one minute. You'll see this in your notes. I put, as I said last week, I've, I've made notes so that you can that pretty much outline my important parts, and you can follow along with your notes, but that's, I think that's in there. The word atonement means at one minute, being at one in harmony with someone. Atonement being, means being reconciled to God, the pardoning of sin and having that harmony of a restored relationship. Indeed, since the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God has had a redemptive plan to restore that harmony and fellowship that was lost at that time because of sin. There is a huge chasm. Are we going to do something? Okay. We're going <laughs> to tape me up here. What am I holding close? No? Testing, testing? Is that okay? Okay. There is a huge chasm between sinful mankind and the holy God. Tonight, as we look at Yom Kippur, 
we will see God's amazing plan of redemption to bridge that gap. Let's look at the Tanakh, the Old Testament, to see what God says about this appointed time having to do with atonement and redemption. Leviticus chapter 16 and 23 contain the main passages and that will explain this holiday. And I've, I've thought of even subtitling when I give these messages. Next year when you do tabs, you will love the book of Leviticus. <laughs> because up to now, you might not have. But when you see the richness of what God has there, I think you'll come to have a different feeling about it. And so let's look at Leviticus 23, 26 to 28. The tenth day of this seventh month is Yom Kippur. You are to have a holy convocation. You are to deny yourselves, and you are to bring an offering made by fire to Adonai. That's the Lord. You are not to do any work of that day because it is Yom Kippur, to make atonement for you before Adonai, your God. So there are four main events or elements of this observation of Yom Kippur. The first, that there is to be a holy convocation. We talked about that last week uh, when we talked about Yom Teruah, Feast of Trumpets. It's a time of people, God's people, coming together in a sacred assembly, and there's this idea of rehearsing for something. And last week, we saw that for Yom Teruah, we were rehearsing. We were at a wedding rehearsal in preparation to being the bride of Christ. Secondly, there are offerings made by fire to the Lord. The sacrificing of animals was common for all Jewish holidays. Thirdly, it was to be a Sabbath day, a day of complete rest, which is another common denominator of these appointed time or moedim. And the fourth component is what begins to make this holiday different from some of the others. In verse 27, it says, you are to deny yourselves. Other translations say you are to humble yourself or to afflict yourself. Now, the rabbis have associated this idea of affliction or denying or humbling with fasting. And so Jews all over the world for the last 24 hours fasted and prayed as a sign of denying themselves from sundown last night to sundown tonight. The idea is not to punish, punish yourself, but to connect with your spiritual side. Joel 2.12 says uh, uh, to 14, God calls his people to a fast. The compassionate and gracious God says, return to me with fasting and weeping and rendered hearts. Fasting is not foreign to the Christian world. Jesus fasted. Paul fasted. But as we go on in this unveiling of this Moedim of Yom Kippur, you'll see that the denial of the soul is not just about abstaining from food and drink. It has more about the rendering of our hearts, Mentioned in that verse, the idea is returning to God with all our hearts, and we sang about that tonight. There is another element of Yom Kippur that makes it really stand out from the other Moedim, and that's about the type of sacrifices that were done on this day. In the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, God set up a sacrificial system whereby animals were sacrificed on the altar to cleanse the unclean sinner so he could draw near to a holy God. It was a life-for-life system, a life-for-life. The word sacrifice in Hebrew is korban, which means to draw close or to come near. God chose sacrificial blood as his means of cleansing, as his means of atonement, so that sinners could draw near to a holy God through the shedding of blood. Leviticus 17.11 states this so clearly. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to atone for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Life is in the blood. 
And of course, this is not just an Old Testament belief, but an underlying foundation of the gospel. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Leviticus chapter 16 explains in detail the role of the high priest and the sacrifices he had to perform every year at Yom Kippur when he went into the tabernacle, later the temple. He was a mediator, a go-between, between the Israelites and their holy God. I already read that sacrifices were made by fire, and some of the sacrifices were absolutely unique that were made on Yom Kippur. The high priest, dressed in special white garments, first offered a bull, and then he went into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle the blood of the bull on the mercy seat, asking for atonement for his sins and the sins of the other priests. And in this picture here, you see the priest in his garb, the high priest, at the Ark of the Covenant with the gold overlay of it, and that is the, called the mercy seat. The Holy of Holies was a special room in the temple with a thick curtain that separated it from the rest of the temple. And inside the Holy of Holies was that mercy seat. The Hebrew name for mercy seat is Kippur, derived from Kippur. So actually, it could be called the place of covering of the, or atonement. No one except the high priest, ever entered the Holy of Holies. And he only did it once a year at Yom Kippur to sprinkle the kaparat, the mercy seat, the gold covering of the ark with blood. By doing this, he was making purification for the sins of the previous year. The priestly ritual of sprinkling of this sacrificial blood to remove sin required the life of a sacrificial animal in exchange for the blood of the worshiper. An innocent life was taken in exchange for a guilty one. Now that should sound a bit familiar to those who know the gospel and what Yeshua did at the cross. Another innocent life was sacrificed at Yom Kippur in a very interesting ceremony prescribed in Leviticus chapter 16. Two goats were selected, and by lot, one was chosen to die and be offered as a sin offering with his blood, and the other one was chosen to live. One would live, and one would die. The high priest would again enter the Holy Holy, the Holy of Holies, with the blood of the goat that was killed or sacrificed and place it on the mercy seat. And then he came out. But before he came out, as he stood there in, at that mercy seat of God with the blood, it is said that the glory of the Lord appeared right above the mercy seat, sometimes called the Shekinah glory of God. And so Yom Kippur is sometimes called the day of face-to-face because of this face-to-face with the glory of God. So then the high priest would come out of the tabernacle and take the second goat, and he would lay his hands on that goat and symbolically transfer the sins. He would confess all the sins of the nation, lay his hands on that goat and transfer the sins to the goat, and then the goat was taken away. The sins were carried away into the wilderness, and there the goat remained. The goat bearing the guilt of Israel was taken out of the camp. The idea here rings so true to the gospel. Once blood is shed, sins can be removed. After the high priest had performed the commanded sacrifices, it says in Leviticus 16.30, For on this day atonement shall be made to cleanse you, You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. So this scripture clearly ties in the idea of being clean from sin before the Lord. Our God does not just want to be appeased. I'm sorry. 
He requires cleansing for the purpose of relationship. So we have that at-one-ment, atonement with him. First, God commands that we repent or return to him with our whole heart. And then he provides the means for reconciliation or atonement with him. And it has to involve blood. Isaiah 118 says, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. So we see in Yom Kippur, in the book of Leviticus, the shadow of God's plan for reconciliation and atonement. In fact, as you read about these Moedim, as they were in the Old Testament, they all are shadows. The blood on the doorposts at Passover became the, lamb, the blood of the lamb that was slain for our sins. And so it is true for this holiday also. Now, by the time of Yeshua, there were several changes to the temple, how the temple was. The Levitical, the priest system was corrupt. The Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat was no longer there because it had been lost somewhere in Babylon. I know they're still looking for it, but... And then in A.D. 1970, the temple was destroyed. So now what? What are you going to do? How would the sins of God's people be atoned for? Biblical Judaism is redemptive. Man is sinful and estranged from God. Blood atonement is the only answer. God requires the shedding of blood for the atonement or the removing of sin. Only then can a person be right with a holy God. So, with no temple sacrifice, modern Judaism has become a moral religion. Asking, how should I behave so I can atone, so I can atone for my sins? On Yom Kippur, observant Jews observe a Sabbath day and attend synagogue. They fast and pray and do teshuva, repentance. They give gifts of charity, hoping their names will be written in the book of life. Last week I mentioned that it's believed that God opens two books on Yom Teruah, Feast of Trumpets, the book of life and the other book for the lost. And according to traditions, over the 10 days, repentance is made, prayers are said in hopes that you will have your name in that book by Yom Kippur because the belief is that on Yom Kippur, in fact, about 6.30 tonight as we began worship. The book is closed, the books are closed, and your fate is sealed for the whole next year. There are many scriptures in the Old Testament and the New that talk about this book of life, but it doesn't work exactly like that tradition, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. In the Jewish mindset, forgiveness is temporary. It has to be done annually, over and over again, just like the high priest had to go into the sanctuary, into the um, Holy of Holies every year. Yom Kippur is essentially the last appeal, the last chance to change the judgment of God and to demonstrate repentance. Now, some Orthodox Jews know that there needs to be a blood atonement and perform a ceremony on... Yom Kippur called Kaparot. They wave a live, and here's a picture of it, they wave a live chicken over their heads that they will later kill and shed that chicken's blood, and they say, this is my exchange, this is my atonement. The fowl will go into death, but I will enter into a long and good life of peace. And that's their attempt they know that there needs to be some blood involved in, in becoming, in having atonement with God and becoming back at one with God. Now, many modern Jews frown on that practice that you just saw, and they continue their prayers of repentance, hoping for atonement, that right relationship with God. And right here, it's important to understand the difference between repentance and atonement. Repentance is a worthy thing. It's saying, I'm really sorry what I've done. I'm going to really try to change. But it's still man approaching God. Repentance says, I'm sorry. 
but repentance cannot save us from sin. Only God can grant atonement. Repentance is action-oriented. Atonement is grace-dependent. And that leads us to the hallelujah section of tonight's teaching, the messianic fulfillment of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is all about Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. And that's where this grace element can be found. The Levitical sacrificial system taught the people that the penalty of sin, um, taught, taught the people that the penalty of sin is death and that God was gracious in allowing substitutes to pay the penalty. In the New Testament, Hebrews 10.1 says, these sacrifices were a shadow of good things to come. They were just a shadow. All that the priests did in the temple was just foreshadowing what was to be a much better thing. The high priest had to go in every year, year after year, to atone for the sins. And Hebrews 10.4 in the New Testament says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to actually take away sin. It just covers it. Before me here, I have a pile of my sins, a representative. They're black. They're not very good to look at. And my prayers of repentance or perhaps long ago, the blood of bulls and goats would just cover. It didn't take away. They're still under there, but would just cover. And there's nothing wrong with repentance. God wants us to repent, but it's not going to take away our sins. The Yom Kippur sacrifices were practices of the real deal. They were practicing for that. And the real deal is Yeshua shedding his blood for us. That was always God's glorious redemptive plan. It is the ultimate life for life that is involved in this sacrificial system. The book of Hebrews, especially chapters 4 to 10, unfold the messianic fulfillment of Yom Kippur in a beautiful way. I suggest you take some time this week and read through them, those chapters. The Yom Kippur rituals were never intended to remain in fact forever, but they pointed to something much greater, Yeshua, the Kohen HaGadol, the high priest of the new covenant. Hebrews 9, 11 to 12 says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, what is that saying? Yeshua, Jesus, is the high priest who shed his blood and entered into heaven's tabernacles, into the, where the true holy of holies is. He did this once and only needed to do it once to provide redemption and atonement for all of us. Verse 24 in the same chapter says, for the Messiah has entered a holiest place, which is not man-made and merely a copy of the true one, but into heaven itself in order to appear now on our behalf in the very presence of God. How amazing is that? How wonderful is that? That Yeshua right now appears in that heavenly holy of holies, the throne room of God on our behalf. He became our high priest. He took that blood. He shed his blood and now stands there or sits in the throne room on our behalf. He led the way into the holy of holies, that place of face-to-face with God, which we will, those of us who are believers will 
be at some point. Now, right after he was telling his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them in heaven, and if you were here last week, you saw that that was part of the marriage ritual. The bridegroom would go away and prepare a place for his bride. And right after he said that, he said these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's John 14, 6. Jesus, Yeshua, is the only way to God, the only way for true atonement. That at one with God, where our sins are removed, not just covered. When Yeshua was crucified, the literal veil of the temple in Jerusalem, that heavy cloth, was ripped, torn in two. It was the veil which separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And then you can see in this slide here, it's showing that the separation between sinful man and the holy God had now been erased, torn asunder through the body and the blood of Yeshua, our Savior, our Lord, Hebrews 10.20 says that the blood of Yeshua provided a new and living way so we could draw near to God. Hallelujah. At Passover, we saw the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. At Yom Kippur, we see the two goats, one of whom dies and one of whom lives. And that's Yeshua. He died as a sacrificial goat, whose blood was sprinkled, and yet he still, and then he lived as he was resurrected. And he became the scapegoat for us. Our sins were laid on him, and he carried them away. Just like the high priest of the Old Testament laid his hands on the scapegoat. In the glorious chapter, Isaiah 53, it's a messianic chapter. It talks about Yeshua. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to our own ways. But the Lord has laid on him, laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, back to this illustration here. Here's a pile of our sins covered. But once we place the blood of Yeshua on our sins, they can be carried away. And they are not counted to us anymore, and they're just carried away from us. And we become righteous in him. Now, Romans 3.25 says, Yeshua was sent forth by God as a propitiation, that's a hard word, by his blood through faith to demonstrate righteousness. It's a very interesting word, that word propitiation, because it is the exact same word as mercy seat in Hebrew. Kaparit. Not only is Yeshua our high priest, the sacrificial lamb or goat, the blood, the way into the Holy of Holies, but he is that mercy seat that allows a repentant sinner to approach a holy God and not only approach him, but be able to take on his character. The definition of propitiation is appeasement of divine wrath by sacrificial offering. The appeasement of divine wrath by sacrificial offering. And that's just what Yeshua did for us. One of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made this sinless man be a sin offering, and that's Yeshua. God made this sinless man be a sin offering on our behalf so that in union with him, 
we might fully share in God's righteousness. He who had no sin became sin so that we could have God's righteousness. That is amazing love of God, the amazing grace of God. God's redemptive plan shown in all of these appointed times takes us sinners, each one of us going our own way, doing our own thing, and makes us righteous by the sin offering of the sinless Messiah. That is God's love. That is his grace that writes the name of every born-again believer in Yeshua permanently in the Lamb's book of life. And so as believers, we can live in this joy of our atonement, but yet we know there's more to come. The fall-appointed times or Moedim are prophetic, all of them, of the second coming of the Messiah and the establishment of his kingdom. As far as end times goes, Yom Kippur represents a time or will be a time of tribulation, judgment, and restoration. For a believer in Yeshua, there will be no judgment for sin. If you have accepted him and accepted that blood, you are righteous in God's eyes. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as human beings have to die once, but after this comes the judgment, so also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to, eat, uh, but to deliver those who eagerly wait for him. What we will face is something called the judgment seat of Christ. You can see the references in your notes. Believers in Yeshua will not be judged according to salvation, but rather evaluated, kind of like an award ceremony. And that, I believe, is the dress rehearsal for Yom Kippur. The dress rehearsal for Yom Teruah was preparing as the bride. This one is being about the Father's business, doing what the Lord tells us to do, listening to the Holy Spirit, so that when we stand before him, we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because he will give rewards. He, what our entire eternal future, this is our dress rehearsal right now for our eternal future. We are to come before God, make sure our lives are in him, dying to self-effort and instead doing his work led by the Holy Spirit. And that's what I believe is the denial of self that is about Yom Kippur. You are to deny yourself or afflict yourself or humble yourself. And that's what I think it's all about, the prophetic fulfillment of it. For the earth, there's going to be a great time of tribulation. Outlined by Yeshua in Matthew 24 and many other scriptures, ushering in the second coming of the Messiah and judgment. The prophetic significance of Yom Kippur for Israel, the nation of Israel, is absolutely amazing. Two weeks from now, I'm going to spend the entire Wednesday talking about the miracle of Israel and our connection as a church to Israel and its prophetic future. But for now, at this holiday, God, just know that God has a covenant with Israel. He hasn't forgotten them. He has never broken that covenant. And I believe that Yom Kippur is a time when there's going to be a great national revival in Israel. There are really tough times of affliction ahead. But God will be faithful and merciful. Hosea 5.15 says, I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. There will be affliction throughout the world. There will be affliction in Israel. But it is God, a merciful God, calling his people back to him. Zechariah 12, 9 through 10 says, Israel's iniquity will be removed in one day. And in that day, I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. I will pour out on the house of David 
David, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication. So they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him, like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. His people, the chosen people, they're going to see him, and they're going to realize who he is, that he is their Messiah, and they will come to him in repentance. And by God's grace and mercy, 13.1 of Zechariah says, in that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and impurity. Romans 11.26 says, all Israel will be saved. Yeshua provided for their atonement as the high priest at Yom Kippur and as the Lamb of God at Passover. And now at Yom Kippur, the day of cleansing, the day of covering of sins, all of regathered Israel will recognize their Messiah and be cleansed for their sins. And I believe that this is the prophetic fulfillment for the generation of Jews living at the second coming of Yeshua. There are many many scriptures about this, and I put them in your notes there. God will honor his covenant with Israel. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants neither Jew nor Gentile to face him on judgment day without the blood of Yeshua covering him. The shofar will be blown one last time as the Lord uh, gathers his elect from the four corners of the earth. Now, I'm going to have Robert come up one more time to blow the shofar for us tonight. And it's not about the second coming of this Messiah, but it's about something called the year of Jubilee, which is always denounced by the blowing the shofar. The word Jubilee means continuous blast of the shofar. And so this special year is announced with the shofar or the trumpet. You can read about the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25, 8 through 17, and we don't have time tonight to go into depth about it. But what it is, is that the Lord told the Israelites when they got into the land, every seven years, you are to give the land a Sabbath, a rest. You are to return um, slaves to their, back to their homes. You're to return land back to its original owner. It was a time of canceling of debt. And that was called the Shemitah. And you've probably heard a lot about the Shemitah recently. That was every seven years. But at the cycle of seven times seven, um, seven, not seven times seven, yes, yeah, seven times seven. At the, at the cycle of seven times seven, after 49 years, there would be seven Shemitahs, seven Sabbaths. There came on the 50th year, this year of Jubilee. And guess when the Jubilee began? Today, at Yom Kippur. And it is the 70th of the Jubilee since the Jews came into the promised land. And that number is significant, too, of the 70 years. And so we are standing right now, folks, or sitting at the beginning of this year of Jubilee. Well, what is it about? It's about freedom. Slaves set free, land returned. It's not observed in Israel right now, but there is messianic truth in it. Robert, can you blow the shofar, and then I'm going to read to you what Yeshua had to say about this thing of freedom, about this Jubilee. that Yeshua spoke. He quoted the book of Isaiah. It, in fact, it was the Sabbath reading for that day. Right coming out to begin his ministry, he went to his hometown synagogue in the Galilee. 
And he stood up and he opened the scroll, which was the reading for that day. God has everything planned out. And this is what he read speaking about himself. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. May the spirit of the Lord be upon you in this season. If you are captive, may you be set free. This upcoming week, four days from now, on the 15th of Tishri, on Sunday evening, September 27th, begins the last of the fall Moadim, the last of the Moadim in God's calendar. And it's called Sukkot, or Feast of Tabernacles. It lasts for eight days. We'll learn about that next week, and you will see it's very different. This is Yom Kippur is a very solemn festival. Moedim. Sukkot is about joy. And there are many references I think you're going to find very interesting in the New Testament how Yeshua celebrated Sukkot. And then, of course, many of you, and Pastor Sheldon mentioned this on Sunday, the last of the four blood moons will occur this Sunday night. But we will not be able to see it in Hawaii, but the best place to see it will be in Jerusalem. In conclusion, the whole point of these appointed times is that God is saying, I will meet with you. I am here now to be with you. So I encourage you to take time to meet with him and hear what he is saying. The focus of the first two full Moedim is on repentance and atonement. By Yeshua's sacrifice and resurrection, we are able to approach a holy God. He is telling us in this Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day of covering, I have you covered. My blood has made relationship with me possible. And we have missed it as believers in Yeshua if we don't take time, especially in this holiday season, to meet with God. Repentance is good. And the blowing the shofar is awesome. But the point is to be with God. That's what we can look forward to it in these Moedim. And that's why we can look forward to them every year until the Lord returns. As we calibrate with his calendar and look forward to the second coming of the Messiah, our bridegroom, the Lion of Judah. Thank you. Boy, there's so much to learn and so much to apply. And tonight, I'm going to ask you to stand uh, with me. And, and we're going to close in a, in a very special way. You know, as Susie was talking about repentance and uh, forgiveness and, and God taking away our sins, you know, sometimes we revisit the sins he took away. And that's where repentance comes in. Repentance is actually changing the way you think. It's turning away from our sin and heading in God's direction. And sometimes our mind cannot fathom all that we just learned tonight. We cannot fathom how can God still love us while we still go through what we go through. So we're going to pray, but what I'm going to also invite you to do is just take a moment of repentance, a moment of returning to God, a moment to say, Lord, this is a rededication to you on, on this very special season that we are learning about that it's all about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. It's Moadim. It's his appointed time. He never mistakes a moment. God never wastes a pain. God never wastes a situation. He'll always work it all together for good because we love him and we're called according to his purpose. What a wonderful God. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night and right now, Lord, just within our hearts, we ask that, that you would just show us the different things that are inside that we, Lord, can repent from certain sins or, or the way we think sometimes. 
we ask, Lord, that you would just give us a, a heart of flesh, a heart that is moldable and, and a heart that is pliable and soft like clay that you can work your hands into. Take away the stony heart, Lord, the heart that is hardened. And show us, Lord, the potential that you began in us the day we were created, the first day we were created, the first day you thought us up. Can you show us, Lord, who we're supposed to be? We're not who we were. We're not who the world says we are. We're who you say we are. And you did all that we've been learning about tonight, all of that, so that we could be with you. It's not a religion, Lord. As we're learning, it's a relationship. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. There may be some of you tonight, maybe maybe it's an, as we were talking about it, it's an action that needs to take place. Maybe it's not just a prayer. Maybe Maybe it, it needs to be an outward expression of what is happening on the inside where you actually walk to the altar. And, and tonight, it's not like how we had in the Old Testament where it was an altar where the, where the animals are sacrificed, yet we have an altar which we preach the Word of God and we speak about the things of God. We worship on this altar. And maybe tonight, you're... you're your act of worship to the Lord and your act of rededication, your act of repentance is just walking to the front of the stage, which is an altar. And in doing so, you're saying, Lord, I am battling with my flesh, but my spirit will win. And when I come to the altar, I lay it at the altar. And may your hands be laid on me so that it will take away my sins as as I battle with it, that you, Lord, by your power will remove that which is red like scarlet and give me what is wool. Make me white again, Lord. And as we sing this final song together, may that be your action. It could be just a simple walk to the altar, a laying down of whatever it is. It could be the way we think. It could be a situation that we're battling with that causes wrong thinking. And maybe tonight is the time and season for us to say, Lord, it's a brand new beginning because you have paved the way and paid the price for me to have a new life. And if that's you, you can just say amen and let the Lord move in that way. We're going to sing this song together. And when you feel led, just come to the altar, pray to the Lord.